This week's parsha is Parsha Shmini. In Parak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Beis, the Torah tells us, Starts giving us a list of chayas and behemas and eifes that are edible and those that are not. And the Pasuk uses the Lashon of Zeis HaChaya. Whenever it says a Lashon of Zeh, or Zeis, it always means to be Meirah Be'etzba, means to be able to actually physically show exactly what you are doing. Zeh Keli V'anbeyu Chazal say that they were able to actually point Be'etzba to the Rabbeinu Shalom Kaviyachal and see that this is my God. Whenever the terrorist says Lashon of Zeh or Zeis, it's Meirah Be'etzba. So Zeis HaChaya Asher Teichu not just was telling a list of animals, but actually giving a demonstration of the animals which may be eaten and the animals which may not. Rashi says, Moshe was physically holding on to a chaya and telling Klal Yisrael, this may be eaten. Zeis teichlu. And then he would hold on to an animal which was forbidden to be eaten, and he'd say, "V'zayis loytaychlu." As that taychlu mikol asher b'mayim, and apishratzei amayim achaz mikol minumin. Even not just the land creatures, but even the aquatic creatures, even the the, the creatures of the sea the shratzim, the ramasim, all of the animals and all of the members of the uh, animal kingdom, sea life, animal life, everything, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to take in his hand and show Klal Yisrael physically, this may be eaten and this may not be eaten. This is what Rashi teaches us and he, he learns it from the Lashon of Zeis HaChaya. And we see from here, and it's pointed out in the Sefer Lekach Das, that it's an amazing miracle, if you stop and think about this, what happened at this point for Klal Yisrael. Now, we're not talking about a handful of animals that were out in the desert where Moshe Rabbeinu was giving this lesson. He wasn't just talking about some uh, boa constrictors and some, uh, I don't know, some, some ants. He was taking animals from all over the world and they somehow all came and gathered in the middle of a desert to Meshur Abenu in order to teach Klal Yisrael what may be eaten and what may not be eaten. So you'll have penguins and you'll have polar bears and you'll have sharks and dolphins and everything, any animal that you ever saw, learned about, heard about, they all came and gathered at this point in history to Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar, only in order that Moshe Rabbeinu can teach us the halachas of what may be eaten and what may not be eaten. That's an incredible thing, if you stop and think about that for a minute. I don't know how the sea life was able to get to the desert. There's no water in the desert. I don't know how you're able to show a shark and a, and a, and a guppy and a, uh, and a hammerhead or whatever, all these, all these different... I don't know how they got there. I don't know how they stayed alive. But 
somehow, someway, all of these animals and all of these mammals, they were all able to come to Meshur Abenu in the middle of the desert and show themselves to Klal Yisrael, presenting themselves, their simonim, in order to instruct us for all times what may be eaten and what may not be eaten. A tremendous miracle that happened at this point to show the greatness of Limud HaTayra to Klal Yisrael. Where else do we find such a thing? Where else do we find such a phenomenon that animals gathered on their own volition to a tzaddik in order to accomplish what a tzaddik wanted them to accomplish? We find it, of course, in Parshas Nayach. In Parshas Nayach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Nayach two things which seem almost to contradict one another. In Perak Vav, Pasuk Yud Tes in Parshas, in Parshas Nayach, it says, Umikal hachai, mikal basar, shnai mikal tavi el Every animal, Nayach was supposed to bring on board the teva, shnai mikal, bring them onto the table, which implies that Nayach was supposed to physically go around the world and find all of these species of animals and bring them personally to the table. And yet in Pasuk Chaf there it says, They will come to you. Not that you will have to bring them, not that Tavi Elateva, HaKadosh Baruch was saying, Yavayu Elecha, they will come to you. And in Perak Zion Pasuk test, it says that Lamaisa, what happened was, Shnayim Shnayim Bo El Nayach Elateva. Two by two, they came to Nayach to the Teva, and Rashi says they're Bo El Nayach Me Alehen. They came all on their own. So it seems to be like a stiram sukim here. The first Pasuk says that HaKadosh gave a tzivoy to Nayach, a command to Nayach, that he was to bring all of these animals to the Teva. And yet in the subsequent sukim it says that they came to Nayach. They themselves walked and traveled the distance to come to Nayach from wherever they were. And the Rishonim grapple with these seeming serious and different Mepharshim say different things. The Ramban says that the behemoths that were Timaeus, they came on their own. The behemoths that are Tahirais, Nayak had to go and fetch. But the Ebenezer says something remarkable. The Ebenezer seems to say that the Chiv was on Nayak to bring all these animals, but they did not want Nayak to have to trouble himself to go and bring them from all corners of the universe to the Teva, so they came on their own. Even though the Chiyav on Nayach was Tavi Teva, but the animals had Rachmanis on Nayach, Nebuch, Nayach, you have to come and schlep and find us in the Amazon and in, uh, you know, wherever, wherever it may be to find us. No, it doesn't pass for you to go and look for us. We'll come to you. And so the animals almost magnetically 
They were drawn to the tzaddik. They came to do whatever the tzaddik needed done with them. They all came to Nayaf from all corners of the world. The animals, the fish, not the fish in Nayaf's case, but in the, the shrotsim, the remote, whatever needed to be on board the teva, came to Nayaf to the teva in order to accomplish what the tzaddik needed to accomplish. And I think this is a almost perfect parallel to what we find in this week's parasha by Meshach Rabbeinu. Meshach Rabbeinu needed to show every species of Bema and Chaya and Eif and Sheketz and Shrotzim and Ramasim. Everything came from all parts of the world. From the coldest temperatures to the hottest temperatures. From the birds of the sky to the, to the fish of the sea. And everything in between came on their own to Meshach Rabbeinu in order to accommodate him. And in order for him to be able to properly demonstrate to Kalal Yisrael, min by min, what was acceptable to be eaten and what was not. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing miracle. Why do animals do this? Why is it that we find this, that an animal is drawn to do what the tzaddik needs? So I think the makar for this is in Parshas Bereshis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he's creating man, he speaks to the Malachim, and he says to them, Nase Adam, let us make man. Bitsalmeno, Kidmuseno, in our image, in our form. Yirdu bitgas hayam, and man will dominate over all the animal kingdom. That's the role of man. Man is supposed to be in control of the animals. He's supposed to be Moshel, rule, command, order, be fully in charge of all the animal kingdom. That's the role of man. Rashi says something very interesting there. Uridu, he says, is a word which has two meanings. It means a lashon of ridia, which means to be dominant, to rule, to reign supreme over them. But it also could mean a lashon of yurida. It could also be you will fall before the animals. And Rashi says, if you are a zaycha, if man is zaycha to be great, if man is Zaycha to be what he is supposed to be, then he will rule over the animals. The animals will be completely in his control. The animals will be subservient to him. All the animals will understand that man is great, that man is the, is the pinnacle of creation. And they will do anything that man wants them to do. But if man is not Zaycha to be what he is supposed to be, then he will fall before the animals. The animals will be martial over him. Sometimes you find, and there's a Gemara in Shabbos that speaks about this, that when a man is great, when a man is a tzaddik, then animals are afraid of him. But when a man is not, then animals are able to actually chase after and, and not be afraid of man. The fact that we find, let's say, sometimes dogs uh, you know, chasing after a man, 
and Rahman would slam biting a man or, or mauling a man. We, you know, you hear stories, these terrible stories about these pit bulls and they're jumping over people and, and, and you know, biting them and killing them. That's not a normal event. That's not the way Beteva it was supposed to be. When you see, a, you know, you hear these stories in a zoo, a zookeeper goes into a cage and a lion mauls him or a bear or a... Th- that's not normal. That's not a normal thing. An animal is not supposed to be fearless in the face of man. An animal is supposed to quiver when a man walks by. Why is it that animals are not always scared of man? Because we're not men. Because there's something lacking in us. When we are not zeichet to be who we are, an animal is able to see that we're not who we are supposed to be. So we're like basically a, a two-legged animal and they're a four-legged animal. They're stronger than us. They're faster than us. And they are able to have a gaiva to actually attack us. But that's not natural. The natural way of animals is that we're supposed to be dominant over them. Animals should look at a man and say, wow, we, we, you know, they're godly. In fact, there's a medrash that says that when Adam Arishan was created, that first day, that Friday, when Adam Arishan was created, so all of a sudden, all of the animals, they gather around Adam Arishan and they say, they start bowing down to him. They thought that he was God. That's how great Adam Arishan was. Adam Arishan was Misaifai Elamat Saifai. He was gigantic. Physically, he was gigantic. Spiritually, he was gigantic. Adam Arishan was somebody that we wouldn't recognize. If we saw what, a picture of Adam Arishan, we would not recognize him because, you know, we picture Adam Arishan like us, but he wasn't. He was. He was colossal in every way. And so much so that all the animals, the lions and the tigers and the bears and the, everybody, they wanted to start bowing down to Adam as if he was God. And Adam says, no, you're making a mistake. That's where that Pasuk was first said. The Pasuk we're going to say tonight, Kabbalah Shabbos, don't bow down to me. Let's go and sing praise to the Rabbeinah Shalom. He created us. But the point is that man was so great that all the animals knew that they were subservient to him. When we're not great, that's when man is lower than an animal. And so I believe that this Yisai that we find by Nayak and by Meshur Rabbeinu, that all the animals are like, he's like, uh, you know, the Pied Piper, and all the animals are, are coming to him, following him, following his lead, doing whatever he needs them to do, serving Adam, serving man, that's because these were tzaddikim. Nayak and Meshur Rabbeinu, great tzaddikim. When a tzaddik wants something, the animals automatically follow him because that's Urudu. Man is supposed to reign supreme over the animals. Animals should be following man in a natural way. When there's Zaycha. When man is Zaycha, then Nasa Ridia. Man is able to say, I want this, and, and animals jump. And if we don't find that, it's only because we're not 
to be the man, to be the Adam that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had in mind when he created Adam. There's a Beis Yasef in Yeridea Simon Pei Beis. And the Beis Yasef is talking about the kashras of certain types of birds. And there the Beis Yasef brings Hagaris Maimonis, which says that when one of the Rishainim were discussing the status of kashras of a specific type of bird, he was talking, he was giving a shear about a certain bird. That very bird flew to where he was teaching it so it could be analyzed. That bird, it might have been a bird that was uh, you know, not in, in its natural habitat. It might have been a bird that lived thousands of miles away from where this shear was being given. This is the Agais Maimonis that the Beis of quotes that says that one of the Rishayim were giving a shear about a specific kashras of a bird, and that specific bird, whatever the bird was, a pelican, it was in a place that the pelican couldn't be. But the pelican flew and landed on the table, on the shender, where the shear was being given, in order that they could analyze and examine the simonim of this bird. It's an amazing miracle that happened. The Chassam Seifer quotes this Beis Yasef and he writes that stories like this happen in every generation to those who immerse themselves in Tyre Lishma. If you learn Tyre Lishma, you too can be Zaychet to having such miracles happen. That when you're learning about a certain thing, if you're learning about an animal, about a bird, about an insect, and you need to examine it, you need to explore it, you need to understand it, those animals will come to you. This is what the Chassam Seifer says. It's not just a once-in-a-lifetime event, once-in-a-world in history that this happened to one of the Rishonim, as quoted by the Agais Maimonis, but this is something that happens, says the Chassam Seifer, in every generation. It can happen to somebody that learns Taira Lishma. In our generation, it happened as well. It's a very famous story about Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Zolgazunstein. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, he is the God Adar. He is the God of Adar. And Chaim Kanievsky is a, a Yid who sits in Bnei Brak, who makes a siyum every era of Pesach, on Kula. I was trying to explain this to my children before Pesach, what this means. What does it mean, Kalatayra Kula? How, does that, how do you make a sima? What does that mean? I say, okay, you take all the svarim pretty much in the base Madrash, and when I say all the svarim, I mean Babli and Yerushalmi, and Sifra and Sifri and Zayar and Mishnayis and Chumash, Tanakh, Rishainim, Achreinim, Kalatayrakula, Pshutekemashmai, every year one man makes a siyam on Kalatayrakula in his small apartment in Bnei Brak. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. I mean, this, this is something that, you know, you could, you could think about the Dolmagayan in, in such a way, maybe. 
but um, not maybe for sure the Vilna Gaon. But to have to, to have that in our generation is is something that we have to really appreciate. You know, we take it for granted maybe, but we can't. You know, this year we suffered the loss of, of so many G'dayla Yisrael just within the last few months that we have to be misfowl for G'dayla Yisrael. We say every day on, on Monday and Thursday, every day on Monday and Thursday, we say on Monday and Thursday every week that L'kayim Banu Chachma Yisrael, we daven for G'dayla Yisrael, L'kayim Banu Chachma Yisrael, we, that G'dayla Yisrael should have a kiyum, they should exist, they should survive, they should live, they should be well. And we have to appreciate when we have a Godol that we have him, don't take him for granted. So Reb Chaim Kanievsky writes many Svarim. We know his Svarim are unbelievable, by the way. I mean, he doesn't need my Eskama, but his Svarim are, are, are half of a fellow. Every the psalm that we have from him, he has a whole set of, of uh, called Derech Amuna. You see it up there. It's about a six, seven volume. It's like a Mishnah Bura on Zeroyim, on Seder Zeroyim, on, on all of the halachas of, of Zeroyim. So he mamish writes a Mishnah Bura, like it's not called Mishnah Bura, it's called Derech Amuna, but it's, it's with the same thing like Mishnah Bura. You have uh, the halacha, then you have the lumdus, and you have the tziyunim on the bottom, and uh, it's unbelievable. He quotes all the, his uncle, the Chazanish, and all, all the relevant halachas for a farmer today, for people involved in, in Paskening Zrayim. He has farim on that. He has farim on... Um, he, has, he has my favorite safer of his, is Time of the Krah. It's unbelievable. It's on Chumash, it's on Tanakh. And he has like these amazing diukim, short pieces, just amazing, brilliant, beautiful, Gainisha. Chaps and 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 pshatim and biurim that fits perfectly into the psukim. Unbelievable, almost like the Vilna Gaon, but a whole thick sefer just on his aris and chumash and tanach. Then he has countless contrasim, smaller contrasim that he wrote, and um, one of those contrasim. And they say that he writes these svarim. By the way, when does he have a chance to write? If you're finishing kolatar kula. And you're having, you know, he spends many hours of the day replying to letters that people write to him, questions. And then he sees people, people come to him for brachas. And he has a, he has a tremendous sense of humor also, Reb Chaim. He has a, he's, very, he's a happy person. He, he's like normal. He's, he smiles. He, he, he's funny. You know, they, they say a cute story about him. I don't know if it's true. But when you go online, you know, there's a line of people in B'nai Brak to, to see him. So he doesn't have time to get it unless you have real pull that you can spend time with him. And otherwise, you know, the rank and file Jews, they file it by him and he says, Buha. So Buha means bracha v'atzlacha. He doesn't have time to say bracha v'atzlacha to a thousand people. So he said, Buha, 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 Buha. So the last guy online one day, he was smart. He says, listen, Rebbe, you know, like, I'm the last guy online. You don't have to say Buha. Give me like a real bracha. You know, stra- tell me, you know, give me a longer bracha. You know, there's no one behind me. No, it's the end of the line. So he says, "Okay, Buha." <laughs> He's funny, and um, so when he was writing his contrast, by the way, like I said, these he doesn't have much time to write, but 
supposedly he writes these svarim on Ibriyars, on years you get a, a second Adar, because he has an exact system to finish Kala a 12-month program. But he has a whole other extra month that, you know, he's not doing anything during that month. He's done. I'm joking. You know, he's doing, he's doing it, but he, that's when he gets the chance to, to write um, his svarim, supposedly. So one of the contrasim that he wrote is called Kane Chagavim. Kane Chagavim is a contras that speaks about the simone kashras of a grasshopper. And Reb Chaim wanted to know, as he was learning up the sugya, and he was writing Halachal Amaisa, and he needed to know exactly a simon of a certain type of grasshopper. Now, this grasshopper was not an in- indigenous to B'nai Brak. It was a, a grasshopper that lived, you know, in the jungles of Amazon, you know, crazy far away. And when I say Amazon, everybody thinks that he ordered it online. But it, it means like Amazon is also a jungle that, uh, you know, has a lot of creatures very far away from B'nai Brak. And um, he needed to find out the simon, the simonim of this particular type of of grasshopper. So, I mean, there are certain verse, many versions of the story. I'll tell you the one that I like the best. Um, that he was learning, and he was, you know, supposedly, you know, there there is a university not far from Bnei Brak, and they might have had that type of chagav, that type of grasshopper in their laboratory, in their whatever, in their cages there. And, um, and they were talking, him and his chavrusa were talking about, you know, maybe taking a trip there and seeing it. Anyway, as they were talking about this, there was an open window that they were sitting by. And into this window jumps this particular type of grasshopper from a million miles away. And it's sitting there on the wall, and then it jumps on their gemara right in between them, and they look at it, Chaim examines it, <clears throat> and is finished seeing what he needs from it, and it jumps out of, out of the window, and it's gone. And they look at each other, and like, it's pretty impressive, and then like they say, but I don't know if, you know, we really saw it well, you know, we missed like a certain, another simon that we needed to see, and so in, in flies the grasshopper again jumps on the wall, and then it jumps on the Gemara. And Reb Chaim told his father, the stipler, about this. And the stipler was obviously um, very impressed, because this is not something that happens um, you know, on, an, on a daily basis. Like the Chassam Sefer says, if you, it's only happens to people that learn Torah Lishma. If you learn Torah Lishma, then you have this ability that the animals are attracted to you. You need an animal. Moshe Rabbeinu needed all these animals. They came. Nayach needed all these animals. They came. Rechaim Kanievsky needed, needed this particular Chagav, and it came. And one Shabbos, the stipler made like a surprise siyum when Rechaim published this contrast of Karni Chagavim. When it came out, the stipler, who never before ever made a surprise siyum for Abchayim Svarim, this time he made it. And a grandchild said that 
even though in general the stipler didn't publicly celebrate his son Svarim, but it was because of this particular nace that he made this special seum so as to publicize the story. I heard a, a, a postscript to this story, two postscripts actually, that Reb Chaim once woke up in the middle of the night because they were doing renovation in his apartment. They were moving walls. And he woke up startled one Friday night and he inquired about whether or not they were going to move that wall where the grasshopper jumped into. Because the Chidah once had a miracle happen to him on a certain staircase. I saw once the, what the miracle was. I don't remember exactly what it was. But a certain miracle happened on the stairs of the Chidah's house. And he had them coated in gold, those stairs, in order to be mefarsim the nace. So that, that nace is always remembered. He kept those stairs intact and he coated them in gold. And Reb Chaim was very adamant that whatever walls of the apartment you want to move, fine, but don't touch that wall. That wall has to remain for all time as a zecher that the nace happened with the Chagav. I heard another postscript of the story that once Reb Chaim Kreisworth, who was the he was he was the Rav of Antwerp, the chief rabbi of Antwerp, he was a tremendous guy, and he was very close with the stipler and Reb Chaim, and it was he was a tremendous, tremendous Talmud Chacham, and, and the Gedalim loved them, loved him. He once came to Reb Chaim Kanievsky's house, and he said, Reb Chaim, they're saying Meisim about you already. You, you became a rebbe. Everybody's talking about Meisim. He says, what? Which Meisim? He says, you know, the one with the grasshopper. Come on, like, you know, please. Is it true? How could that be true? Like a grasshopper flew in from your huppets to on your, on, your, on your Gemara while you're in the middle of learning about that. Is it true or not? Let me get it straight from your mouth. So he said, Reb Chaim, so I'm surprised at you. He says, why is it so hard for you to understand something that the Mishnah says? It says, a person learns to these. These are things that happen. When a person is able to learn when a person is able to reach the madrega of Adam, Adam biyakar, Adam in the truest form of what Adam is supposed to be, then these things are, are natural phenomena that we consider miraculous, but this is the way it should be. It's supposed to be this way that Behemoth and Chayas and Eifes are completely subservient to the Tzadik, to the Adam. If they don't happen, if it's shocking to us, it's because we don't understand what an Adam is. We lose sight of who, what, what an Adam is supposed to be because we, when we look at Adam, who, who are the Adams that we're looking at every day? We're looking at athletes and we're looking at presidents and we're looking at politicians and movie stars and, and these people. These are not Adam. We're not looking at, at what an Adam is supposed to be. If an Adam was an Adam, then it wouldn't be shocking to us. If you lived, if you were a grandchild of Rebbe Kanievsky and you lived them, it wouldn't be a pella seeing these things. These are things that happen every day. But we don't know what an Adam is. We look at certain people say, oh, they're man, I'm man, and, and, and we look at the lowest common denominator and we forget what an Adam is really supposed to be. 
I want to just say one thing. That really, this miracle, this phenomenon that behemoths are subservient to humanity in a perfect world is not just a miracle that happens to G'dayli Yisrael, but it happens to many of us every single day. And let me explain. Man is comprised of two parts. We have a guf and we have an ishama. The guf is the behema part of us. This is known. This is not my tyra. This is everyone knows this. That the guf is a behema. Naturally speaking, our guf wants tyrus. Our guf wants to do what it wants. It wants to eat ravenously. It wants to have all types of human pleasures. It wants to be able to live in an unbridled way, doing what it wants, when it wants to do it. That's what our guf wants, and that's why we find so many people in society around us that do everything and anything that they want, and it looks so geschmack. That's the guf. That's the guf. That's the behemoth part of us. You know, behemoths roam. They do what they want. They act out when they want. They, 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 they're, they're, no one, that's what an animal does. An animal doesn't have a set of a shulchan aruch or a set of values, or a set of morals, or uh, an animal does whatever it wants to do. But an Adam, with an Ishama, with a Nefesh, we have that conscience, and we have that understanding of right from wrong that a, that a behemoth does not have. And there's always this struggle, there's always this tension in every one of us, between the guf and the neshama, between the adam and the behemoth. Who wins? Who reigns supreme? Who is going to be raida, the yirdu? Who is going to reign supreme over the other? Is the behemoth inside of us going to reign over the, the nefesh? Or is the nefesh, the neshama that we have inside that makes us human, that makes us special, is that going to be able to properly and fully reign supreme over the animal inside of us. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been there in a number of years, but in the Bronx Zoo, all, a lot of these zoos, if you ever notice, they all have like this agenda. Uh, you know, they're trying to, you know, save certain animals from extinction, and they're trying to convey, not just, they don't want to just show you animals, they want to also give you a muster schmooze and say sometimes about how bad humanity is and how little we care about other, about animals and how, you know, the hunters, you know, are, are making, you know, certain uh, breeds of elephant extinct and, uh, you know, for the ivory. And, and it's all true, it's fine. If you go into the Bronx Zoo, or at least if you used to, I remember there was an exhibit, there was like a house of all of the really dangerous predators. And then at the end of the exhibit, right before you leave, there is a sign that says, the most dangerous animal in the world. And you're looking in the cage, you know, you're trying to find what is. Is it, is it the, the tiger? Is it the boa constrictor? Is it the, you know, the pit bull? What is it? What's the most dangerous animal in the world? And there's a mirror. And every human being that's walking through the exhibit is supposed to understand as he looks at his reflection in the mirror that 
he is the most dangerous animal in the world. And it's a thousand percent true. There is no more dangerous animal in the world than the human being. The human being is ruthless. The human being, un, un, uncontrolled, you know, you have a man like uh, Stalin, he killed tens of millions of his own people. Hitler, millions and millions of innocent people, Anoshim, Noshim, Mitaf, completely liquidated. He's not a human being, he's, a, he's an animal. It's for animals. And then you have, you know, smaller types of animals that kill on a prank, that destroy people's lives, that, uh, you know, do terrible, terrible things act immorally, destroy other people's careers, parnasas, livelihoods, life. A human being is an animal. When the animal inside is able to dictate the terms of my life, I'm an animal. If I'm able to use my conscience and I'm able to say I'm a human being, I'm not an animal. I have more morals that I have to abide by. I have a Shulchan Aruch, there's a Rabbeinu Shalom. I have to keep what I'm supposed to keep properly and not act just unharnessed. Then I'm a human being, then I'm an Adam. But this tension is every day, every minute of the day. Do I do this or do I not do that? Do I follow my instincts even though I know that it's wrong? Or do I rein in those instincts and say, I can't do this because I'm a human being, I'm a Yid, I'm a Bentaira, I can't do this, I'm not allowed to do this. And every minute of the day there's a struggle between the animal and the man, between the Ridu, Belashen Ridia, to be Raida, to reign supreme over the animal inside, Versus the Yerida. I'm Nasa Yerud. I became lower than an animal. And many times we fail in this epic struggle. And we focus a lot on our failures. Whenever we watch something that we know we shouldn't be watching, we give in to our animalistic wants and desires, we feel terrible, we feel guilty, and, you know, and we undergo a, a very, or we should be undergoing a, a gut-wrenching process of tshuva. That's true. Today I want to focus on the good news. And that is that so many times that we are able to vanquish the behemoth inside. Every morning, is it easy for us to wake up in the morning? It's very hard. It's a very hard thing. When you get older, when you get my age, it's, it becomes easier. You don't need to sleep so much. But when you're a buffer and you get to sleep late at night and you have papers to write at night and you're doing whatever you're doing, you're learning, it's hard. You're operating on a few hours of sleep. And now it's the morning and you have to get up for chakras. Or you have to get up for your chavrusa before chakras. It's hard. The behemoth inside of you wants to just hibernate. 
If you ever go, I went once to a safari. It was in Miami. I had nothing to do with my kids, so I took them to a safari in Yehup. It was like, like near Boca, I think. And we drove, 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 and it was going to be a safari. I picture it like, you know, one of these South African safaris, like a Kenya, and you're going to see giraffes, and it's going to go to the window, and you're going to, you know, feed them, and you're going to, you know, whatever, they're going to break the antenna off your rented car. Like, I had big demyanis of, like, what was going to be when I got there. And when I got there, it was, like, such a disappointment, because we drove around this, it was, like, empty. I said, where's all the animals? They're all hibernating. And Taki, you see, like, a, a tiger, like, you know, sleeping... And a, and a lion sleeping. It was like a dead, it was like roadkill. It wasn't like a safari. And that's the that's that's what Bamis are. Bamis are not. You know, you see, you know, the National Geographic version. You see them like you know running in the fields. I'm like, that's not the natural way of an animal. The animal is 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 dead. Animals like to sleep. And when we wake up in the morning, when that alarm clock goes off. It's not so easy. It's not so easy to get up in the morning. I'm not, I hope I'm not giving your Yetzirah a lot of ammunition to, uh, for tomorrow morning. But it's not easy. The natural behemoth, the goof, wants to just sleep. It wants to not only you know, hit the snooze button, it wants to throw that alarm clock right out the window. Because it wants to sleep. It doesn't want to get up. That's the behemoth inside of us. But yet, we get up. Baruch Hashem, everybody in this room gets up every morning for Shabbos. And then you go back after breakfast, maybe you lie down a little bit. You think you want to get up for first Seder? You don't want to get up. You want to sleep. You think you want to get up for Mincha? You want to, think you want to get up for, for... You don't want to get up. You want to stay in your bed. You want to do your thing. You want to read. You want to sleep. You want to you know, play video games. Whatever it is, that's the behemoth inside of us. It wants to do the easiest, most relaxing thing. But yet, our nefesh, our neshama, is able so often to dominate our guf and gets us up in the morning and gets us to learn, gets us to put on our tefillin and our tzitzis, gets us to do chesed with other people. It's true we have failings. We could talk in other and maybe about how, how often we fail and we do animalistic things. But I think for the whole, if we have failings, it's a lot less often than our successes. We don't give the successes enough credit. We have to pat ourselves on the back really hard and tell ourselves we're doing well. We're doing very well. Not that we're perfect, and not that we don't have work to do. We do. But it's amazing that in 2018, so far away from Harsinai, that we're still able to be martial over our goof so much. With all of the tithes out there in our pockets, with all the tithes that exist that are so accessible today, that we're able to not look at those things so often. And that we're able to not think about those things so often. And that we're able to sit and learn. That you can come into a first Seder and you hear a Kaltaira and a night's in here a Kaltaira. In New York circa 2000, it's half of a fella. It means that the Adam inside of us is really doing a good job. 
reigning in the behemoth. And you're going to say, well, it's not even such a big deal. I get up out of bed easy. So often I, I just don't even think. I just do it. You know what that means if you're, if you're able to say that to me? That you're able to go to learn with a geschmack? It's not even a struggle for you to wake up in the morning? That means that you're like Reb Chaim Kanievsky in a sense. It means that the behemoths inside of us are coming and joining the Adam. They're humbling themselves. They are subservient to the Adam. The nefesh that we have is so dominant, it's so strong, it's so healthy, it's so robust, that even the behemoth inside of us enjoys doing it. The behemoths are coming and trying and jumping to try to help the Adam, to try to help the, the Ruach. That's an amazing thing. That's not something that we should take for granted. We all have the Madrega in a sense, in this sense, that Nayak was Zaychetu, that Moshe Rabbeinu was Zaychetu, when the behemoth inside of us are joining us, are coming to us, and assisting us, helping us. With a Gishmach, I want to get out of bed. I want to learn Torah. I want to keep Shabbos. I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to be a good Yid. I want to find a Gishmach in Yiddishkeit. That means that the behema inside of us is coming and serving us. It means that it wants to do the Ratzin of a Tzadik. That's what it means. Rebaran Kotler says an amazing vart. In Mishnah's Rebaran, Chelek Aleph, Amud, Kuf Samach Vav, Mishnah Sarbaran says that you find in a, a very interesting thing in Psukim. Shabbat HaMelech writes, Sama Nafshi Lelekim. My Nefesh is Same Lelekim. My Nefesh is thirsting for God. Now I ask you a question. Does a Nefesh have, would you use a word Sama thirsts when you're speaking about a Nefesh? If I was speaking about a nefesh, there's other words I could use, like nichsifa. Nichsifa begam kalsa nafsh. Nichsifa means like that's a ruchni yistika chuka. That means that my, my soul yearns, it pines. That's a good word for a nefesh. Would you say that a nefesh has a thirst? A thirst implies a physical activity. Do you think a th- you know, your nefesh has a taiba when it sees like a, an ice cold glass of Diet Pepsi? You think like your, your nefesh all of a sudden starts having a thirst for that? A nefesh has no interest pastus and diet Pepsi. Why would your nefesh thirst? Sarvaran says that a person can reach a madrega that his that he's so holy that his nefesh becomes like even the physicality becomes nefeshtic. Even my even my physical being, which thirsts, that becomes like morphed into my nefesh. nafshi, I thirst. I have a physic. My physical and my spiritual all morph into one. Libi ubisari, Libi ubisari, my lave. That's my physical ubisari. My lave is my spiritual rather ubisari. My physical, the flesh. They all sing. They, they, they sing and rejoice in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
so many of us, so often, not always, we have failings. And so many times our behema, taka, wins. And we feel terrible, and we should, a little bit. But it's also important very often to take a step back and see how often we're good. As bad as we feel when we're bad, we also have to really give ourselves a, a, a real taste of success when we're succeeding. And when we're able to do things as a yid with a geshmak, when we're able to enjoy learning, enjoy davening, have a geshmak in these things, that means that our, the behema inside of us is like coming and serving as materialistic, as physical as it is, it's coming to serve the Adam inside of us. So we're all Chaim Kanievsky's Bezer Amper. We, we don't have maybe grasshoppers coming through our window, but every day as we wake up in the morning when, our, when the behema inside of us is jumping out of bed to do the Avedis Hashem, that is Chaim Kanievsky. That means that the behema was machnia itself to the Adam. We see how many guys that we know, whether in yeshiva or non-yeshiva, they don't have such an easy time. I've had roommates when I was a bacher that they never got out of bed. It was very hard for them. They weren't rishon. They just didn't have that, the impetus to get out of bed. And it doesn't make them terrible people. It just means that their behemo was being right over them when we do have the ability to get out of bed, it means that our, our neshama is so powerful and it's so strong that it convinced and it seduced and it made a partnership and a cooperative with the behema inside of the behema's machniya itself to our neshama. So we're able to jump out of bed like an animal. That's how, look how the Shulchan Aruch starts. Yiskaber kari. This is the first simon in Shulchan Aruch. Yiskaber kari. Labaydes habaykeh. Wake up like a lion to do the Avedis. You know what that means? It means that the lion inside of us that would sleep all day naturally in a safari, we're able to use and to harness the power of the lion to jump out of bed, to wake up in the morning with a roar and to start our Avedis Hashem. We're able to take all of the animalistic tendencies inside of us and harness it for the tithe. Kal Kanesha, Ratz Katzvi, Gibakari, Lasas and Sarah Vikashabashamayim. All the animal inside of us, Kalatsmaisa Taimana Hashem, when we use those animals for Avedis Hashem, that means that the animals are coming. Like they came to Mesh Rabbeinu in this week's parasha. They came to Nayak. They came and they helped the Tzadik. That's what they're doing for us. We have to give ourselves credit for that. Because it's not easy and it's not simple and it's not a given. It's not at all a given. And the more that we're able to strengthen our Avedis Hashem, the more we're able to be Kaivish our Yitzhahara. The more that we're able to live the way Adam B'Akar was designed to live, to be a good person to be morally fine, to be a bentaira, to learn, to daven, to do chesed, to give tzedakah, to be the person that we were supposed to be, the more the behema inside of us is not only going to be silenced, but we're going to be able to harness all of those energies of that behema 
and use it l'tayv. Mitzah Hashem, we should be zeicheh to continue our aliyah. It's the beginning of a new zman. It's a, it's a geshmaka time of year. Springtime is a time that today maybe the weather is getting a little bit more spring-like finally. It's a time that if you're able to be sensitive to what's going on inside of the neshama, spring is a time that things begin to blossom. The trees and the flowers outside, but also the chukas and the ritzainas to do good and to start a new plan, a new leaf begin to really be percolate right now. Springtime is a time you can make plans for what to learn, what to write, what to aspire to be. This is a great time of year. The beginning of Isman, right after Pesach, going towards Shavuos. It's a time that we're able to really be right there over the Chaya and the Behema within. But not just to suppress them, but to join with them, to find a way to inspire our guf, to be part of our mission in life. And Amitz Hashem, we will continue to go Mechayel Ochayel together as Yeshiva and together as Yechidem Keni Yiratzen. Take out from my tank. I don't know how you can.